1: UN Summit kicks off next week in New York, always the most exciting time of year for us UN nerds, and this year promises to be a very interesting one. Between the Pope and Putin, there's much on the agenda, and here with me to break down what to expect and how to make sense of it all is Richard Gowan. We discuss the big stories, the overlooked stories, and the political intrigue that will accompany the 70th General Assembly. Richard Gowan is a fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations and also with a Center on International Cooperation, where he's previously research director. He's also a columnist for World Politics Review, which is sponsoring this episode. World Politics Review provides uncompromising analysis of critical global trends to give policymakers, business people, and academics the context they need to have the confidence they want. Now, the good people at World Politics Review are offering Global Dispatches podcast listeners a two-week free trial and then a 50% discount on an annual subscription. To redeem this offer, go to about.worldpoliticsreview.com slash dispatches, and I'll also post a link on globaldispatchespodcast.com. And now here is Richard Gowan and I discussing the big stories that will drive the agenda at the UN Summit in the coming week. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I think we're
0: going to see three big stories, in fact. The first is a good news story, and that is the agreement of the Sustainable Development Goals, which will happen on the eve of the main General Assembly meeting. Mm-hmm. That's next and Friday,
1: think, the 25th of uh, September is when it kicks off,
0: when the Pope absolutely. is speaking and, to and that, uh, the General Assembly. The Pope assembly. is going to be here, and uh, I, I think that that is actually going to be a, a positive moment for the UN because the, the goals are a bit of a mess. Uh, the There are too many targets. I think everyone agrees that. But nonetheless, the fact that 190-plus nations were able to agree on this set of development goals is a nice sign that multilateral diplomacy can still work. So the General Assembly starts off on a positive footing, but then I think it will get a lot nastier in the the main week, beginning on Monday the 28th, because we will see discussions of the migration crisis in Europe and the Mediterranean, and we will see discussions of what to do about President Assad and the disintegrating situation in Syria. Vladimir Putin is coming to New York. He is probably going to use this visit, which is his first in 10 years, to make some sort of proposal about peace in Syria. And there's a high chance that he will lay out terms around Assad in particular that the West can't accept. And that will spark a a tough debate at, at the UN.
1: As in terms that Assad should stay, I would write like like you know not not sort of being around the bush, but regime change is not a
0: uh, Russian priority for Syria The Russians have been trying to shift the debate solely onto the Islamic state, and the Russians are making the argument that everyone should get together and form a coalition uh, targeting the Islamic state. And that means working with Assad rather than demanding his exit. Now, the U.S. and Europeans continue to insist that Assad must go. Uh, Putin is probably going to talk about this. That Russia also happens to hold the rotating presidency of the Security Council and will convene foreign minister-level council meeting on the 30th of September to discuss the Islamic State and terrorism in the Middle East. And so this issue is going to keep on coming up. And the Russians will claim, perhaps rightly, that the West is obsessed with Assad and should put aside that obsession in the name of fighting terrorism. Conversely, the U.S. and Europeans will say, I think, definitely rightly, that Russia is trying to protect a mass murderer. And that could make smooth diplomacy difficult, to say the least.
1: Uh, It's interesting that Putin, while he's going to go to New York, is not going to chair the meeting of the Security Council himself. I mean, when uh, Obama was, uh, when when was happened to be president. It was his first General Assembly as president. Uh, the U.S. happened to hold the rotating chair of the Security Council, and he personally held a meeting on the Security count, uh, of the Security Council. But I take it Putin isn't investing in the uh, U.N. in the same way.
0: Well, perhaps Putin is going to go and wrestle some animals in the Central Park right. Zoo or, or whatever he does when he's uh, getting a bit bored. I think that he is handing this issue off for for two reasons. One is that the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, is a real master of UN diplomacy. He was a former Russian ambassador to the UN too. And if Moscow is going to get anything out of this council meeting, it will be because Lavrov plays the diplomatic game in New York extremely well. So Putin may recognize that it's better to have Lavrov in the lead than himself. And secondly... It would just be so painful to try and get President Obama and then President Hollande, David Cameron and others sitting around the Security Council table discussing these issues when the chance of consensus mm-hmm. hovers near nil. And I'm sure Putin is going to say a lot when he's at the U.N. that will annoy and offend the West But even he doesn't want to do that at close quarters in the Security Council. And and he must be aware that there's quite a high chance that Obama and others would just refused to
1: attend. Um, so, in what ways will the uh, refugee crisis in Europe, as is experienced by Europe, um, be manifest in uh, UNGA coming up? I mean, I presume you saw we're uh, recording this on Thursday, and yesterday, Ban Ki Moon held his annual press conference, um, outlining his pr- outlining his priorities for the coming General Assembly, and he had some rather unusually sharp words for the government of Hungary for its treatment of Syrian refugees that have made it uh, to their border or are trying to make it through their country. Um, So how do you see this issue as being manifest uh, in the coming couple weeks?
0: Well, there's going to be a special meeting on the situation in in the margins of the General Assembly. Well, that should solve it. Absolutely, and I, I think the sad truth is that Uh, Ban Ki-moon will try and use the General Assembly as a a platform to tell world leaders, and especially European leaders, that the UN humanitarian system, agencies such as the World Food Programme and UNHCR, are simply overwhelmed, and they do not have enough money to support the, the refugees and displaced people in in the Middle East, I think Ban will challenge donor countries to find the extra money, and I think he will then also emphasize the need for a more humane response to the refugees and migrants in Europe. This will sound good. I think that it's absolutely what Ban should do. He may get a bit of a boost from Pope Francis, who I'm sure will also touch on the refugee crisis when he comes to the UN just before the General Assembly kicks off but there is no money, and you will see a lot of Western governments, a lot of Western leaders looking very embarrassed, trying to scratch some cash together, but I do not think that in a period of austerity, they're going to offer the level of funding that would really revitalize the UN's efforts to help the refugees coming out of Syria and elsewhere in the Middle East and Africa. Yeah, I mean,
1: the, the level of funding is basically double of what is required right now. I mean, and this is, I think, a consequence of first and foremost, Syria, which is the, the you know, just a huge financial drain and political drain and resource drain on the international humanitarian system. But then you also have crises in South Sudan, uh, the, the earthquake in Nepal, um, that and in uh, a crisis in the Central African Republic and, of course, Iraq and now Yemen. We should probably talk about Yemen, too, because that's sort of the, the, um, I think, the undercard story of this uh, coming General Assembly. But the point is, you have all these crises all happening at uh, the same time, uh, and there's just simply not enough money uh, in the international humanitarian system to
0: fully fund any one response. No, UN officials are talking about this being a period of peak crisis. And if there were to be another major humanitarian disaster in the next couple of months, I think there are real doubts about whether it would be possible to get the funding and whether it would be possible to get the logistical resources and other resources that the UN would need to respond. There's a a real sense that the humanitarian system has broken and yet the demands keep keep on rising. And a lot of governments dealing with an issue like the influx of refugees into Europe turn to the UN as an alibi for an action, but they don't give the UN the resources that it requires to, to solve the problem. It's a very, very old story. I and mean, we've seen it in, in many previous cases, but it is a tragic reality that I think will overshadow the diplomacy of, of the General Assembly.
1: Um. I wanted to ask you about the Pope because this is his visit to uh, New York and to the United States is going to suck up, I think, most media attention uh, in in the coming week and a half. Uh, so he is addressing the U.N. Sustainable Development uh, Goals Summit. And I, I should note to listeners, I'm going to have a more in-depth conversation about the substance of the SDGs uh, next week. But now I want to talk about the politics of it all. Um, so the Pope is, is speaking to Congress a day before he is addressing uh, the United Nations. How will his presence affect uh, the politics and diplomacy of the forthcoming General Assembly
0: uh, UNGA meeting? we sometimes overestimate the importance of these celebrity appearances at the UN i remember that the queen queen elizabeth came to the general assembly a few years ago and gave a speech that turned out to be quite dull that said i think the pope may even trump angelina jolie when it comes to celebrity status in in new york and He may get a rough ride in Congress if he raises issues of inequality, but when he comes and speaks to the UN, he is going to get an immensely warm response. And he can be absolutely certain that leaders from the Global South gathering in in New York will fully support what he has to say about the need to um, help the distressed and have a more equitable world. So the Pope will... He will be the star of the show and he will overshadow um, not only Ban Ki moon, uh, who would, I, I'm sure, like to have this as an hour of glory, but even other major leaders who are arriving in the US, such as Xi Jinping from China. Does it really affect the politics around the agreement of the Sustainable Development Goals? Not really. the The goals were negotiated in a very protracted diplomatic process uh, culminating this summer. I think I'm right in saying that the text was, was set in stone in late July or, or early August. There's been huge numbers of diplomatic compromises and whiffs and, and fights over the goals, but uh, they are now set in stone. And what's happening in next week is all about the publicity and um, a moment of, of self-congratulation. See, I think what I disagree
1: I'm... with you there. Um, you know, you look at, at the, the Millennium Development Goals, which the SDGs are replacing, and mm. I think part of their success was due to the fact that they had this kind of religious in uh, papal imprimatur, Um, That they were, you know, the the advent that were coming into a new millennium and and Pope John Paul got behind them. And I think that did uh, give an added boost to their actual implementation. I mean, as you said, the the SDGs have already been agreed upon. Uh, You know, countries have already signed on to them. This is a ceremony, basically, to kick off their implementation and i think it's probably consequential and politically consequential that pope francis is so closely aligning himself with the sdgs just given how the the mdg popularity and how the mdgs kind of captured i think public imagination because of that religious um association it had with it
0: i think that we're talking about two different forms of of politics actually i i was thinking of the the inside baseball of UN politics and UN diplomacy, uh, whereas you're talking about um, the public po- politics of the goals and how we communicate the goals to the world. And in that sense, uh, you're absolutely right. I think that Francis's presence is a very important factor.
1: I, I would say, though, even the inside baseball, uh, though I have no you know, uh, inside knowledge, I mean, Pope Francis has shown himself to be a very skillful diplomat and has, uh, it's sort of the subject of, of a previous podcast episode I had, was how he um, <laughs> is sort of embraced diplomacy and and has just, he's like a diplomatic ninja. I mean, look at the, the um, how he helped facilitate the uh, rapprochement between the USA and Cuba, for example. I mean, the the Pope and the Vatican's good offices were central to that. So I would just sort of imagine uh, that he would take some of that acumen with him to these you know, backroom meetings that he has with presidents. But, you know, we'll see.
0: I, I absolutely agree that he's um, an exceptionally canny uh, diplomat. I'm not trying to do down the Pope at all. I, I would actually say that if he's going to make an impact by his appearance, it's less on the sustainable development goals, which are already negotiated, but on... Another issue that's going to be high on the agenda in the General Assembly, which is preparing for the the Paris Summit on Climate Change at the end of the year. And while the SDGs now exist and are agreed, there's still a pretty big question about whether the Paris Summit is going to deliver a really serious accord on climate change. And we know Francis takes climate issues extremely seriously, and I suspect that he will use his visit to New York not merely to celebrate the success of the Sustainable Development Goals, but also to say to world leaders, your business is not yet done. You have to deliver a serious deal in Paris on carbon emissions, because otherwise, all your other diplomacy is going to go to waste. So I I suspect that is where he will make a very effective intervention, uh, which will have long term ramifications. And he will also, as I say, have to talk about the refugee crisis, and the need for greater humanity. So that may also have an effect. I agree.
1: And I wonder just how different his speech to Congress uh, will be from his speech to the General Assembly.
0: It's an interesting question. I think that, as I said, he he has a, a friendly audience in the General Assembly because he is able, I think very effectively, to speak the language of the Global South on issues such as uh, justice and economic fairness. So you should listen to his speech and you should listen for echoes of quite left-wing thinking perhaps in, in his speech because he knows that that will play well with Latin American leaders or African leaders.
1: Um, another uh, issue, and it won't be top of the agenda, but it will be back in the back of, of people's minds, especially the, the chattering class like like you and I, is that this is Ban Ki-moon's penultimate uh, U.N. General Assembly uh, before his term expires at the end of next year. Uh, so I imagine that this General Assembly kicks off a year of discussion over who should replace Ban Ki-moon. Um Do you expect, I mean, I can't imagine that that's going to be on the top of the agenda, but, you know, if if you're Ban Ki-moon, how do you play the fact that you are essentially a a lame duck at this point?
0: Well, it's an issue for two men, actually. It's an issue for for Ban, but it's also an issue for President Obama. Uh, this is also Obama's penultimate appearance at the General Assembly. And in reality, his, his final appearance next year is likely to be a bit of a non-event, um, a, a, fond farewell. Um, so Obama has an opportunity, uh, this year to talk about what he's achieved diplomatically and also to emphasize, uh, the success of the Iran talks. And I think this will in a sense be the culmination of a lot of Obama's multilateral diplomacy and he will want to, to celebrate that. Um, and he will talk a lot about Iran, even if there are then differences with the Russians and others over Syria. As for Ban, Ban, for all his faults, which are many, does seem to be going out on a sort of high. I think he will be able to uh, talk about the sustainable development goals as a success that he supported, even though they were hashed out between member states. I think that he will talk a lot about uh, the climate change conference that is coming up and in fairness, he's been a consistent advocate for a real deal on climate change since he took office nearly a decade ago. And I think he will he will say that for him, getting an agreement on climate change in Paris uh, is the number one priority for the rest of his his career. And he will also be urging member states to, to get behind a deal. So he's got some big issues to talk about. And... Uh, he will make the best he can of those equally he will be aware that there's going to be a lot of muttering in the corridors about who will replace him Uh, uh, there are many many candidates probably over 20 to replace ban currently in the mix a lot of those guys will find ways to be in new york over the next two weeks meeting leaders starting to make their case to be the next secretary general and just by definition, that diplomatic game will take attention away from uh, from Ban himself.
1: I'm glad you brought up President Obama and this being his penultimate uh, General Assembly. One of his priorities, I think consistently throughout uh, the, his his presidency, has been uh, to bolster UN peacekeeping. I know it's something that you study very closely. And, bon- uh, and President Obama, I think for the second time or probably even third time now, is hosting a special meeting, a high-level panel, or a, you know, a, a U.S., sponsored event around UN peacekeeping, which he, I'm told, will personally uh, attend. So can you maybe set the context for why the US has been, or why President Obama in particular, has been so focused on strengthening and supporting UN peacekeeping and what we can expect from this particular summit?
0: Obama has believed in the importance of UN peacekeeping since Before he took office, you can find passages in some of his writings from 10 or more years ago in which he talks about the need for a decent UN and specifically the fact that UN peacekeepers can take security burdens off the US. And from the beginning of his time in office, he has understood that strengthening UN peace operations is one way to lower America's own security burden around the world. And that was something that he did talk about the very first time that he uh, came to uh, to the General Assembly in 2009. Um, what he's doing this year is especially interesting. Uh, last year, the US at very short notice put together a meeting chaired by Vice President Joe Biden at which they invited a group of other countries to come forward and make pledges to strengthen UN peace operations. Um, they'd imagine that they'd get a modest reaction. They got a better reaction uh, than they'd hoped for. A lot of countries came forward with reasonably concrete offers of helicopters or engineering units and other peacekeeping assets. And so what the U.S. is doing this year is um, putting Obama in the chair, and Obama is inviting other world leaders to come and make even more substantial offers of peacekeeping assets uh, to, um, to the Blue Helmets. And I think at the moment we're thinking that between 40 and 50 countries are going to come forward and make concrete promises of troops or field hospitals or drones, or other technologies. And significantly, this will
1: probably include European countries, which have sat on the sidelines of the UN peacekeeping operations, uh, you know, for the last 20 years or so.
0: I think that it will. Uh, The UK actually just announced that it was going to send a number of troops. It hasn't specified how many troops to South Sudan as part of this process. And other European countries, such as the Scandinavians and and the Dutch uh, are already doing quite a lot for the UN in in Mali. So it is potentially a game changer. Uh, The Europeans and other advanced militaries have stayed out of peacekeeping for quite a while, and it looks like Obama may manage to tempt them back in. Uh, There's also a hope that Asian countries, which have obviously increased the size and quality of their militaries in recent years, may make significant offers. And people are looking at Latin American countries like Mexico and Colombia to, to add to the numbers too. So it's not just about the Europeans, but we will see some European pledges of blue helmets and that is a that is a nice gift frankly from washington to uh to UN UN headquarters
1: and it, you know it, it's the case that the US is not a major contributor of troops to UN peacekeeping but it is the largest funder of UN peacekeeping operations and you know most of the troops in UN peacekeeping operations right now come from the developing world aren't necessarily terribly well equipped and they're well equipped and there are several peacekeeping missions under serious stress like the mission in South Sudan and and the mission in Mali in particular, uh, as well as, um, in, in the DR Congo, which is always a, a, a tough mission. Um, but the idea here, right, is, is to just inject some momentum into UN peacekeeping by adding, you know, troops and equipment and just a greater political, you know, um, support for these operations around the world, which many of which are seem to be you know dangling on a thread.
0: Yes, the UN doesn't actually have much difficulty raising standard infantry for its operations, although as you say, a lot of those infantry are not very well equipped or very well trained. Where it has huge problems is getting the specialized assets you need to run modern missions, such as aviation assets, uh, Hercules transport aircraft, uh, attack helicopters, and other other assets like engineers and, and field hospitals. And what the U.S. is hoping to achieve is to get advanced militaries to come forward with assets of that type to, um, to bolster U.N. missions. So we're filling the capacity gaps. We're filling the gaps in expertise and specialization that plague UN missions. People are wondering if Obama will announce uh, an extra deployment of UN troops, sorry, US troops um, to to the UN. Uh, there was a rather funny quote in the New York Times where an anonymous official said you would see an increase in uh, US deployments with the UN, but it might not be a striking increase. So maybe we'll see a few more staff officers. From 80 man. to 83. Exactly, yeah. Their yeah. plan in South Sudan or something. But the way that Washington has presented this to its European allies especially is that it's all part of a a bigger security burden sharing task. So the US is having to invest more in European defence than is it expected because of the renewed threat from from Russia. And the Americans are saying to the Europeans, okay, we're making that investment you can actually afford to make a small investment in in u.n operations uh, to help secure africa which is after all on your southern flank and similarly the u.s can argue to asian allies such as japan and south korea or australia that, as it puts more security assets in the asia pacific they can help repay that by doing a little bit more for the u.n too
1: great well uh, richard thank you so much Thank you very much. All right. Thank you all for listening. Love this time of year. This is going to be a great UN summit. This is actually going to be the first UN General Assembly, the first UN summit that I'm going to miss in 10 years. Uh, But for good reason, we're expecting a new baby boy any day now. Not to fear, though, we'll have some great UN-related content and summit-related content this week and next. Uh, And as I alluded to in the interview, I am lining up another conversation uh, next week to talk specifically about the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, and the SDG Summit that the Pope is headlining. So stay tuned for that, and we'll see you soon. Bye.